Hello, this is Philip Terzian, Literary Editor of the Weekly Standard, with my weekly podcast on the Books and Arts section of the Weekly Standard for the April 28th issue, now on newsstands, as we used to say. I guess we still do. Um, the section this week leads off with a interesting essay by James Banks uh, about a book called Our Final Invention, Artificial Intelligence and the End of the Human Era by James Barrett. The book is in the long tradition of intellectual speculation about uh, what the invention of machines is going to do to the human race, uh, something we've probably been pondering since the invention of the printing press or the Industrial Revolution or something uh, that's at least uh, a few centuries old. And the current iteration of this, of course, is when we have machines that um, possess what we might call artificial intelligence, um, who machines that seem to be able to, to think. And we're always wondering, therefore, uh, just how how much can they think, and to what extent do they have free will? And, of course, some of us would say that free will ends when the machine is unplugged and there's really nothing to worry about. But, And the author of the book seems to worry a little bit more about uh, the limits uh, of artificial intelligence, not, not the limits of artificial intelligence, but the the limits of the possibilities of artificial intelligence and some of the dangers inherent in it. Uh, he seems more worried about that, perhaps, than I am and that our than our reviewer is. But the review is an interesting um, survey, kind of, of what the current thinking is on on thinking and machines and whether we really do have um, something to worry about or whether, as usual, we're our expectations of machines are far in excess of what they're actually capable of doing. Interesting piece. That is followed by an essay by uh, Fred Siegel, the veteran uh, historian and chronicler of uh, New York uh, civic politics, um, reviewing the autobiography of Richard Ravitch, which is entitled So Much to Do, a Full Life of Business, Politics, and Confronting Fiscal Crises. Richard Ravitch, of course, is one of those uh, uh, civic figures who seem to be uh, a little more common in New York than others who are um, uh, civic-minded in the best possible sense of the word. They sit on all the boards of important institutions. They come to New York's rescue when it's uh, necessary. I guess the I guess the Richard Ravitch of the previous generation was Felix Rowiton of Lazard Frere. But Richard Ravitch has been very instrumental. Um, he, he first came to uh, really public uh, notice during the, the same fiscal crisis, actually, that made Felix Rowiton famous in the mid-1970s. But he has been a fixture on, of New York's civic and political life ever since, even serving briefly as the appointive uh, lieutenant governor of New York a couple of years ago. Um, and Ravitch's book is an interesting survey of what has gone right and what has gone wrong with New York over the years. Fred Siegel doesn't entirely agree with Ravitch's conclusions about the lessons learned from the experience of New York, but he has a appreciation for Ravitch's career, and it's it's a kind of interesting view of how cities, how even 
cities with all the resources of a New York still are dependent on the the interest and concern of uh, civic-minded individuals like Richard Ravitch. Next is a piece by uh, a writer named Richard Tata of a book entitled From Rome to Byzantium, A.D. 363 to 565, The Transformation of Ancient Rome. Sounds a bit dry as dust, but in fact, the, the period he's talking about, which is the, the declining decades of the Roman Empire and the uh, sort of uh, accidental rise of Byzantium in the East, uh, is one of those transition periods that historians like to talk about, which we don't really study very much, and, and in the popular mind we don't know very much about, but, but really are quite fascinating, and of course feature problems and people who are very recognizable to us 1,500 years later. Um, these are names that are not necessarily uh, familiar to us, uh, and battles that we don't necessarily study in school here and now, but they uh, teach us a, a great deal about uh, not only the decline of Rome, but the decline of empires in general, and give us, in this book in any way, a, a, a new and deeper appreciation of the sometimes overlooked Byzantine Empire, all written in a book that is written for the general reader, actually, and seems uh, quite interesting. At least our reviewer has made it so, uh, so. And I think if nothing else, you'll learn something just from reading the review, which is sometimes the case. That is followed by a piece by my friend Mark Tooley, who is the president of the Institute on Religion and Democracy and a well-known Methodist layman, I guess you could describe him as such, here in Washington. But he's written a review of a, a book entitled Tales from a Revolution, Bacon's Rebellion and the Transformation of Early America. Uh, Bacon's Rebellion is something which uh, uh, probably Virginians know about more than the average American. Nathaniel Bacon was a uh, late 17th century English colonist in Jamestown who led, a, in effect, a revolt against the royal governor, William Berkeley. And the historiography about Bacon's Rebellion has gone back and forth over time. Uh, there was a time a century ago, certainly in the early 20th century, when Nathaniel Bacon was seen as the torchbearer of revolution, as the uh, Virginia historian, the Princeton historian, Thomas Wharton Baker called him. Um, in, in more recent times, we've come to look at Bacon as a bit more of just a, a kind of aristocratic malcontent, and the Royal Governor Berkeley is being a relatively reasonable man, uh, putting up with a, a, a deep thorn in his side. But but Bacon's rebellion was a real phenomenon, and uh, there was violence, and people died, and it it uh, it's a it's a, a fascinating episode in in colonial history. Once again, a, a corner of American history that this, speaking of the period between Roman Byzantium. I tend to think we, we really don't study uh, pre-1776 America as much as we should because an awful lot about our country is was set into place by the initial colonial settlement of the eastern seaboard and a lot of the 
a lot of the society and civic life that we know as Americans really has its origins before the revolution. Obviously, the revolution is is a primal event in uh, the history of our republic, but the 150 years or so of colonial America is interesting as well. And Bacon's rebellion teaches us a, a lot of lessons about 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 history and also about the way government and popular uprisings work. Some of the things that happened will once again be familiar to to uh, contemporary readers, and and the book seems to make it very interesting indeed. Certainly Mark's review makes it very interesting. Finally, we have a piece by Kathy Young, who is a columnist for Newsday and Real Clear Politics, a Russian-born woman who often writes about Russian issues. And this is an essay in, in appreciation of a Russian novelist named Vladimir Voinovich, now rather elderly, but, but still active, who, um, who began writing fiction, well, in the 1940s, really, um, but whose novels tended to be uh, uncomfortably prophetic about the long-term decay and corruption of the Soviet uh, system. So prophetic, in fact, that, of course, he ran afoul of the authorities um, pretty definitively but an awful lot of his uh, an awful lot of his work um, uh, especially a, a, a one novel in particular called uh, Moscow 2042 which was published well almost 30 years ago um, predicts some of the ethnic and nationalist, conflicts that we're seeing at the moment between Vladimir Putin's Russian Russia and the uh, newly independent Ukraine. And so Kathy Young has a gives us a, a new and renewed appreciation for Vladimir Voinovich's insights into Russian nationalism, where it comes from, what it means, what it could mean for the future. Uh, very interesting and timely piece. And our book review this, uh, rather our film review this week is, um, of course, by John Podhoritz, and it's a review of of a movie called Draft Day, uh, which uh, directed by Ivan Reitman, which features um, Kevin Costner and Jennifer Garner and others. It's about the owner of a professional football team and um, how he's trying to. Uh, draft and recruit uh, new members of the team and uh, whether he makes a mistake or makes a bold stroke and this that and the other john's point though is that it's a movie that has all of the ingredients that historically moviegoers were very interested in it was a it was a subject of interest to most americans it was a a a popular uh, world uh, that the protagonists inhabit pro football it features two players, Kevin Costner in particular, who have always been very successful in the box office, who uh, are favorites of moviegoers, who people tended to like on the screen. One could say the same thing about Jennifer Garner, although she's not quite as uh, much of a star as Kevin Costner. And yet, and yet the movie has effectively bombed at the box office, and John extrapolates from this that it's another example of how the historic pattern of movie going as a social phenomenon of 
people getting out of their houses and going to a theater and sitting with a few hundred other people to see a, a movie uh, is fast becoming a kind of historic phenomenon. Obviously, we movies are still being made and, and the multiplexes uh, are still uh, open for business, but it seems to John to be another symptom of what might be a kind of longer-term uh, disease that 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 the movie business has to contend with um, the uh, kind of disappearance of movie going as a as a social and cultural event and how the invention of of um, uh, tapes and and Netflix and all that sort of thing uh, challenges our traditional way of seeing films. Very interesting piece, as usual, by John, and I hope an interesting section that will grab your attention and keep it. And on that same note, I look forward to talking to you a week from now about our next Books and Arts section. See you then.